Good to see everybody's uh, smiling faces. So today is a little bit different Sunday. Um, our, uh, our musicians are turned into the invisible people today. So uh, as usual, it's always good to get away sometime and it just, the coincidence was that it's today. So I'm gonna sing, no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I don't want you to leave. Um, but we're gonna do this service a little bit different format today. Um, we're gonna start with our uh, announcements and then, uh, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Franklin and we have a, a different style service today. So something different. You know, we're, Franklin and I both had the same ideas, like okay, everybody get up and move to the other side, but we won't do that. <laughs> we'll just pretend we did. Maybe just scoot in your chair a little bit. Just talk about different perspectives and different ways of doing things, right? Um, because regardless of, of who we have playing instruments or singing or supporting or working in making coffee or sound booth or whatever, we're here to worship the Lord. So the things that we add like TVs and cameras and <clears throat> digital instruments and stuff is just stuff um, that we come here to worship the Lord. So we are glad to see you this morning. <clears throat> we hope that on this Memorial Day uh, holiday weekend that you take time to remember those who have fallen uh, in uniform. Um, I don't consider it a happy Memorial Day. It's more a somber one. Um, so, but welcome. Um, just a couple announcements. You know, last week we, uh, we had our annual church conference, our annual business meeting. Um, we passed budgets. We appointed board members. We appointed, um, well, we did a bunch of stuff. Um, well, last week was also special uh, for a lot of reasons because the Lord was here. The Lord was speaking in and through his servants and people responded. So praise God for that. Um, yep. So a few things coming up. Uh, we do have our Wednesday Bible study. That's on Wednesday. 630. That's why we call it the Wednesday Bible study, right? Um, so that's Wednesday, 630. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's what, it's what God gave me. I mean, um, also next Saturday at 9 a.m. is a church cleanup day. We don't have a lot of things to do, but we have a few things that we need to do. So if you have time, uh, just show up. Yep. Nine o'clock. If we have a bunch of people, then, um, Hopefully it won't take long. Um, if somebody wants to do some work ahead of time, there are things outside like um, the flower bush in the front, or all the, all the shrubs and stuff need to be weeded, and there's some work like that um, that can be done ahead of time. Uh, we're gonna probably clean some windows, like the, the outside of the sanctuary windows and anyone's inside that look like they need it, things like that. Um, we have some inside projects too. We're gonna we're gonna vacuum out the bugs and the lights and check bulbs and you know all that really fun stuff. But if you help us do that, then it just makes it go by quicker, and then we have the benefit of being able to see and you know out the windows and with lights not having bugs in them. So uh, so that's our workday uh, next Saturday at 9 a.m. And um, I think that's it for announcements, really. Other than uh, our, oh yeah, Katyville, uh, Katyville Field Day is on the 11th. That's two Saturdays from now. 
Uh, we're going to have a sign-up sheet in the lobby, or actually it's on the table, right? What we do for that is we make and give away snow cones for free, and we also um, we have a bouncy house that will be in the front. That's for the kids, not, not, for, not for you other kids at heart. It's for the kids in age. Um, and that's going to be, you know, that's what we do to um, just to say hi and to serve the community when there's a thousand people walking by, right? What a, what a great opportunity. Um, we'll probably have our big pendant banners up by then and, you know, just let them know that we're here and they're welcome. And that we love them. They're our neighbors, right? And that's what we would be called to do. And we also thank you for your tithes and offerings. You can, uh, you can give online. You can give, drop something in the boxes at the end, at the entrances or exits. Um, there's also a drop box outside. So we thank you for that. We can't do what we do here and for our community without your support. So we appreciate that. And Franklin, it's now your turn. Ha <laughs> ha It's my turn. We're going to keep that close because we're going to need it. So this morning, as Jim said, is going to be a little bit different. Um, Katie and Nate were like, hey, we're going on a cross-country road trip. We're not going to be here for the next two weeks. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll have Sarah and, and Nick and, and maybe Tia. And uh, then my wife was like, no, we're going to go home that weekend. Um, and see my mom, surprise my mom. It's like, okay, that, that's cool. It, I'll have Nick and Tia. And Nick and Tia were like, yeah, we're gone that week. <laughs> so I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what I'm doing because I can play the piano and I can kind of sing a little bit. Uh, wow, wow, wow. I said a little bit. You could have let me have that much, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but uh, both at the same time uh, are even worse, apparently. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I opted to go a little bit more of a traditional route. Uh, this morning, we have, you have two, two separate uh, pieces of paper that you were given. Um, one, the first one will be up on the screen, but for those who would rather have something in their hand, uh, uh, it's the, the one-pager with the front and back, the one that's not stabled. Um, and we're going to have a, a little bit different of a service this morning. We're going to do a liturgical service this morning, a liturgy. So if you grew up in the Catholic Church or Anglican or some of those older-style churches, uh, you'll probably recognize this a little bit more. Um, the bolded portions are for everyone to say. Uh, the the uh, unbolded portions are for the speaker up here to say. Um, and with that being said, let's get started. Let's all rise, if we can. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. No, oh, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's go to the song. I, it's not in the order, but we...
Sorry, I meant to, yeah, that's my fault. The words will be up. Okay. All together now. Praise to you who dwell among us, keeping promise by your presence. You may be seated. Read with me Psalm 132, verses 8 through 13, and their responses. Arise, O Lord, into your resting place. 
you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your faithful people sing with joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn an oath to David. In truth, he will not break it. A son, the fruit of your body, will I set upon your throne. If your children keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their children will sit upon the throne forevermore. Praise to you who dwell among us, keeping promise by your presence. Barb. So I'm going to be reading from Numbers 35, um, three different sets of verses, starting with one through three. On the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess, and give them pasture lands around the towns. Then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands from the cattle they own and all their own animals. Then skipping down to 9 through 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. And now 30 through 34. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. They are to be put to death. Do not accept a ransom from anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow them to go back and live on their own land before the death of the high priest. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. I'm reading from Luke 10. It will be verse 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. 
how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. When these th three things do you, which of these th three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Altogether. Praise to you who dwell among us, keeping promise by your presence. Irenaeus of Lyon, a second century bishop, wrote, the church has been planted as a paradise in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that Regardless of the music, regardless of how worship is done, that you are here. Lord, I pray for all of those who are away from us this morning, those who are traveling, those who are just taking a rest, Lord, that you would give them peace rest, your rest that rejuvenates beyond what we could ever know. I pray that today, through this different worship service, we would hear your voice maybe in a different way. That through communally speaking your word, through communal prayer, through listening to your word spoken out loud, that we would hear you.
So I pray as we continue this liturgy to you, Lord, I pray that it would sink deeply into our hearts the words that are being spoken. That we would feel them, not just hear them. And they would resonate through our entire bodies. and our entire lives as we go forward. I also pray for those who are sick, not feeling well. Lord, that you would heal them, whether by miracle or medicine, whether it be physical ailment, mental or spiritual ailment. Lord, you are the creator of all and you are the great physician. So there is no wrong that you can't right. No brokenness that you can't fix. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all stand. Told you this was going to be a little bit different. Let us pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, enable us today to see our neighbor in those whom would reject the guilt-ridden, the foreigner, the unprotected, and the refugee. Open our eyes to make us present to these neighbors, both in various expressions of community and in the wider world. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Now normally, if you watch the, the daily liturgies that we do, I would be saying, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. But not yet. <laughs> not yet. Don't get up. Don't run out. Again, I know this is a little bit different. I know it's a little bit more boring than normal. But stick with me here for, for just a little while longer. Also, I think Jim wanted one color to match him and Kyle uh, here. <laughs> and the rest me. <laughs> <laughs> So when I found out, as far as the worship team members being available this morning, I was like, well, 
it's just me. Not just me, obviously we have our wonderful tech team and all of those of you who are here this morning and our, 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 uh, those who read the word this morning for us. And I thank you for all that. But I figured I had to do something different. Uh, the, the first thing that was suggested to me was, well, just play music videos and we'll, we'll do it that way. I was like, ah, that feels a little, uh, it just feels a little cheap. Um, it, it, I wanted to do something meaningful. And then I was like, you know, what if I did something really crazy? What if I took all of the chairs out of the room? And then, and then just had you bring in your own chair and saw where you, like, where you sat based on like, just bringing in the chair into the room. Uh, but then I was like, you know, I'm not gonna do something just for something's sake. Uh, it, it, it just didn't feel right. And then, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, but uh, through this week in my research and getting ready for this morning preaching, um, I came across a video of uh, Francis Chan talking about um, how we think we know better. There's thousands of years of his Christian history, and often modern Christians, we think, oh, well, the way we're doing it is better than whoever did it before us. And I was like, you know what? There's something really powerful about the liturgy. This older form of worship that really has been around since the beginning of the church. And so I was like, let's do a liturgical service. <laughs> Which, me as a theology nerd, really gets, gets me going. And it's like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, I was really excited for, in one of my uh, college classes. Uh, they had us go to churches, three churches that were of different, uh, just different styles than you had normally gone to. And, you know, a lot of the people in my class were like, oh, I'm going to go to progressively more, like, uh, Pentecostal churches and more, more, you know, charismatic churches. And I was like, well, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so I don't really want to do that. So I was like, I'm going to go to progressively more liturgical churches. And I ended up in, um, and this isn't in any of my notes, um, so we're just going that way. I ended up in an Anglican church um, for one of the weeks. And it was interesting to me. Now, we Wesleyans, no one really considers us a liturgical church. In fact, most of us, um, we would be considered a non-liturgical church, uh, even though that's a bit of a misnomer because any church service is technically a liturgy. It's just a ritual by which you, you go through and worship God. Um, and... Obviously, our church service is much more different than the form that we've been worshiping around since the very beginning. And even if you went to every Wesleyan church in the area, or even the district, you'd find there are no two church services alike. Uh, in fact, probably, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find even two churches playing the same songs on a given Sunday. Um, But by participating in this liturgy, and this is what I, I, this is the thing that I picked up when I went to the Anglican church. This, this liturgy is an Anglican liturgy that we went through. And by participating in this liturgy this morning, we spoke the same words 
sang the same song that hundreds, if not thousands of churches did this morning. As a community here, we worship together. But as a community across the world, we worshiped in the exact same way. How amazing is it that, that you can tell when this morning that you went to church and you worshiped with thousands, if not millions of people? And then some people are probably going to look at you and be like, um, I've driven by that, that, that church down there, Mosaic. Uh, there's no way you're holding thousands, much less millions of people there. Um, there's not millions of people in Clinton County. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> but this idea of doing things different, like I said, started with this video from Francis Chan. I watched the short clip of that interview, and... He talked about how, again, the modern contemporary church tend to ignore the past. Hello, Moto. (laughs) That there are literally thousands of years of history behind the church. And when it comes to our practices, like our everyday practices, we often think we know best. Now, obviously, some things are going to change with context and culture and things like that. But I think it's really important. Why, why do we do that? Why do we think that there's nothing from the past that we can carry forward? Why do we often think that, no, they're ancient and therefore dumb? You know? Why do we think our contemporary way is so much better? Do we even know why we stop doing liturgies in church services? In my research, I really couldn't find a defining line. Just, it sort of became less and less popular in churches as time went on. In churches that didn't have strong sort of historical roots um, that, that kept them with what they were had been doing for thousands of years. But I think it's important not only that we know who we are in Christ, but we know where our roots came from, why we do what we do, and maybe find some hidden gems of things that we might have lost when we made some of those changes. So a little bit about our roots. We are a part of what's called the Wesleyan Church and actually has its roots in the Anglican Church. If you know your Christian history, you know the name John Wesley, the Anglican priest who started the Methodist movement in 1784. He thought that the church had gotten too rigid and structured, and because of its rigidness, it was keeping out the poor and the commoner. But also, there was no depth to anything, just Sunday services. So he began preaching and starting smaller groups that studied the Bible and had a true spiritual life. 
And there's a lot of details that I'm sort of skipping over here. But he started a spiritual life that was more methodical than just listening to a sermon a couple times a week, going to church. In some ways, so much has changed in, yet so much has stayed the same. Who are we to think thousands of years of history the way the disciples even did things were wrong. See, part of what John Wesley was trying to get at was that it wasn't just about Sunday morning. It was about living a life of Christ. That was the change that he wanted to see. That was the revolution that he was sort of starting without realizing it. And I think all too often we fall into that same sort of path. I'll show up on Sunday and things will be good. That's all I need, right? But I think we're just a shinier version of those Anglicans that John Wesley was so upset with. But I think we're no better with our lights and music. We have the same problems. And I began to ask this question. Why are we facing the same issues that John Wesley was almost 240 years ago? Obviously, the culture's changed. And John Wesley wasn't even in the U.S. I mean, he was for a little bit, but he mainly addressed this in England. He began the Methodist movement in England. So then I began to look at what a liturgy is. And this is what I came to. It's different, that's for sure. But when reading through what a liturgy is, that it's just a, a religious habit, that we do. I'm sure many of you, if you grew up in the Catholic Church and, um, and you know, maybe you have a funeral or maybe for some reason you go back to the Catholic Church for some event or something, how many of you find that you fall right into the pattern of knowing the worship? You know when to kneel, you know when to stand, you know when you cross. I see so many, so many people who grew up in the Catholic Church and when they, they go to, a, maybe they haven't been there for years, and they, they go to a church, when they cross the cross in the center, they, they do the, the, um, the cross on themselves. I forget what that's called. There's a specific name for it. But. And even though they haven't been to church for years, maybe they go to a different church, they still fall right into that. These liturgies, these habits, these, these ideas are just a structure on which we build our prayers and our worship of God. It's just a scaffolding. It's just a, an outline. And if you look at it and think about it, technically we have a liturgy here. Ours is a little bit more freeform, but we, we know that you know, in the morning we have worshiping by music, and then, and then we have prayer, 
and then we have announcements, and then we have the sermon. And then we have a little bit of music afterwards, and that's our liturgy on Sunday morning. It's not as rigid, it's not as structured, sometimes it changes, like this morning. Um, But that's what it is. So again, things have changed so much, yet they stay the same. And I was thinking about this structure, this way that we build our prayers and worship God. What if we use that structure not just on Sundays, not just on Sunday morning, but every day? Now, some of you may think this is an elaborate marketing hoax for the Monday through Friday liturgies that me and Jim do, and it might be a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's not a hoax, but, you know, I think the reason that we do that is because it gives people structure. It gives people an easy way that you can just watch a video, read along with us, and, and have this easy five-minute at max, sometimes it's less, most of the times it's less, um, way to just worship God. And it it starts at 8 o'clock every morning. You can watch it at any point through the, in the day after that. And you're able to just worship God just even for a few moments. And then I began digging a little bit deeper, going a little bit further back. And I found that even Jesus, in some ways, gave us building blocks for what a liturgy looks like. This is within the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. You see, the disciples felt that they were missing something from their prayers, their prayer life in Luke. And they saw that John, the Baptist disciples, were taught a structure for prayer. So they asked Jesus the same thing. And in Matthew, he sort of gives this preamble before he teaches them. And he says... In Matthew 6, 5 through 8, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. This is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to the Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. So he sort of gives this, and then he goes directly into the Lord's Prayer after that, which we already did this morning. And he gives us a structure he, he says, listen, if you're praying, don't, don't be extra about it. Don't, don't give yourself this inflated ego because, listen, if, if you think praying in front of everyone and, and getting them to look at you, look at me, I'm praying. I, and, and the way the Pharisees were doing it was, it was a very, uh, like, look at me moment for them. He's like, if you're going to pray for something, do it humbly. 
Do it privately. And don't go on and on and on and on about something. Ask God for what you need and then move forward in what he has for you. And then he gives us that structure for prayer. He gives us a prayer in which we can kind of have an idea of what all prayers should look like. Doesn't mean it has to look exactly like that. If you're only praying the Lord's Prayer, maybe mix it up a little bit. <laughs> if, if, you, if you need a written down one, there's plenty of written prayers by plenty of great theologians, and there's plenty of prayers even by those in the Bible. And the Our Father is not the only prayer that Jesus even prays. But it's a structure. Jesus is giving a structure instruction on how to build the disciples' prayer life so that it's not just meaningless babble, but it's meaningful, thoughtful, faithful, and sincere. The liturgy is just a tool to help us get into that mindset to not only pray meaningfully, but to worship meaningfully. And the thing is, again, going back to the definition of liturgy, it's just a habit. It's just a ritual that you go through that happens to be religious. So if you take that religious component out of the definition, we actually have liturgies that we have every day in our lives, if we think about it. We do these things repeatedly. But take a moment here to think about the rituals, the habits that you have in your life, the liturgies that exist. I know for me, I have a morning liturgy that I follow. One where I, when I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I take a shower, I brush my teeth, I get dressed and get my breakfast and lunch ready for work. Hopefully all before Addie wakes up. I do this every day before I go to work. It doesn't change. It doesn't look any different unless something comes in sort of bl and blindsides me. Maybe you have a liturgy that you live through. Maybe the way you exercise is a liturgy. Or maybe you follow one for school or study or gardening, or anything else that you might think of that you do on the regular. Or semi-regular basis. I'm sure most of us have some sort of liturgy around our meals. We sit down in a certain way. We set our meal in front of us in a certain way. We pray for our meal probably almost the same way every single time. And then we eat our meal. Maybe not, maybe lunch isn't structured that same way. Maybe breakfast isn't even, but I'm sure most of us, we have one meal a day, probably usually dinner, that is sort of, sort of kind of the same every day. Not the same food, but it's done the same way every day. But then I got to asking myself, why if we already have so many liturgies 
for the things that we do in our life, why are none of them centered on our life with Christ? Now, maybe some of you do. I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers. In fact, if I am pointing any fingers, I'm pointing them at myself because I was really convicted by doing this, <laughs> building the sermon that, you know, hey, I haven't built any of these things in my life either. But the reality is, simply in our lives, we don't build them. We often don't even try. And believe me, again, I'm not pointing the fingers at anyone other than maybe myself. But why don't we build rituals around our prayer life, reading the Bible or worshiping in music? Why don't we do that? Instead, we go to God whenever the whim suits us. never truly building an appetite for God. And that's the thing. Even the times that you do these things is important. You all eat lunch and dinner probably at the same time. Why? Why do we eat lunch and dinner and breakfast at the same time? Because we get hungry. And here in the U.S., it's not because we're starving. It's because our body's expecting to eat at that same time. So what happens if you read the Bible at the same time every day for years? Or pray at the same time every day for years? Well, then all of a sudden, you begin to hunger for those things. And it's interesting. Does it frighten us? Are we too busy that we can't make time to build these liturgies in our life? But then again, I'm sure if the cool knew whatever or if we were asked to do something, we'd slot that right in without even thinking twice about it. And the consequences of this is so often that the life, the, that the Christian life doesn't look very Christian outside these four walls. A liturgy for your life helps build faith and devotion. It helps build an appetite for what Christ has in your life. You will be hungry for the things of God if you just fed yourself on a consistent schedule with them and in a consistent way. The second point I want to make is, in reality, a liturgy of life is not built alone. Obviously, parts of it have to be built alone. You have to know your schedule and do things on your own. But if you're doing it by yourself, if you're the only one doing it, it makes it a lot harder. We have to be able to start the process as a community. This is part of what the author of Hebrews is saying in 10 chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, obviously, some of that is Sunday morning. We gather here, and that's why it's important on Sunday mornings for it to be consistent. We're meant to be building a liturgy of coming here every Sunday and seeing the same people every week and in living life with the same, with, with each other as a community. This is where it begins, here on Sunday mornings. Together, strengthening each other and getting prepared for everything that life has to hit us with. But it has to go beyond these short few hours every Sunday. This is the very thing that John Wesley pushed against and why I gave a little bit of his history. He was a revolutionary. He didn't see himself that way, but he ended up being that. It wasn't because there was an inherent issue with the church's Sunday morning liturgy at the time. No, in fact, it was the opposite. It was an issue with people's hearts and minds not being used for God outside of that Sunday morning. When they stepped outside of the building, they were not living the same lives that they professed inside the church. They just went from one thing to the next, not thinking or even considering God. And how often do we do that? Matter of fact, if someone stopped you and was able to look at every detail of your life right at this moment, right now, everything that goes on in your days, except for Sundays, they couldn't see Sundays, which is a, a black box that they couldn't see into. Would anyone know that you are a Christian? When I came up with that line, when God gave me that line, it hit me hard. Because I think, probably, they would know I was a Christian. But unless they inspected with a very fine-tooth cone, I don't think they'd know I was a pastor. So how would they know? What would tell them definitely that you are a Christian? A follower of Christ. Would it be how your life has changed? Would it be how you speak to people? Would it be your deep but quiet prayer life? Or maybe the time you spend reading the Bible or reading about the Bible? Would it be your way of relentlessly following the calling that God has on your life. Maybe all the Bible studies that you go to on Wednesday night. <clears throat> um, 
or the work you do with the church outside of Sunday mornings. As I said before, my life would probably be laid just as bare as yours. And again, I'm not blaming anyone. And if this doesn't fit you, then that's great. You can help others and bring them alongside of you to help build these liturgies in their lives. It is not easy to live, the Christ, live for Christ, but we are called to live deeply, a deeply intertwined life so that when people look at us in our lives, they see Christ woven into the very fabric of our lives so tightly that there can be no separation. Building liturgies, rituals in our lives is one tool, one very powerful tool that can help us do that. To do it together. Just like it says in James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of, righteous, of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If you build these things in your lives, you will beginning to interact with each other in different ways. You will be able to earnestly pray, pray. You will become a righteous person. And through God, there will be wondrous results. James K.A. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. In it, he writes about how the habits that we build and the rituals that we have in our lives reveal what we truly love. He used an example of him beginning a routine of running and learning that once he built the habit of running, every morning he found that when he didn't run, he missed it. He had a craving for it. He desired it. When it wasn't there in his life, he felt like something was missing. that in fact he loved running even though before that moment of realization he would have said he hated it. Let me put it like this. What would happen in your marriage if you had zero habits, rituals, or liturgies built around your marriage? If there was nothing in your marriage that was regular. Maybe the quick kisses goodbye in the morning when you go to work, or maybe the way you eat breakfast together, or dinner, or whatever. The ways you get ready for bed together. I think it would be pretty easy to say that if you didn't have these consistent moments together, and they may look different for whoever you are, but if you didn't have these consistent moments in your lives, these rituals, these habits that you did together, you would find that there isn't much love in that relationship.
but the relationship that builds those moments, those mornings, the families that have the consistent family time together. You don't even have to ask if they love each other because it's evident in every action they take with each other, even when they aren't great actions that they take with each other. When the fighting happens, when the, the arguments happen, you can see it's being done in love. So why then is it not the same as a relationship with Christ? Why are we not building these moments into our lives as Christians? That is the question you have to ask yourself and work on with God, that I have to work on with God. So I'm going to finish with an excerpt from the foreword of this book of liturgies called Every Moment Holy. And then, finally, a liturgy together to finish our time. I challenge you, just as the name implies for this book, to make every moment holy, to build liturgies around everything. Build a holy liturgy of your life so that you not only love Christ, but you live Christ. And I'm going to make a, a small plug for this book, Every Moment Holy, only because uh, in my house, we have my daughter's room, and we have our changing table. And above her changing table, we have a liturgy for changing diapers. <laughs> and in this book, there are liturgies for just about everything for arriving at the ocean, for leaving on holiday, for those who sleep in tents, for the enjoyment of bonfires, for sunsets, for stargazing, for watching storms, for the ritual of morning coffee, for a sick day, for the morning of a medical procedure, for a husband and wife at the start of day, for a husband and wife at the close of day, for those who suffer loss from fire, flood, or storm, for the loss of electricity, before serving others, before a meal eaten alone, for those feeling the impulse to buy before shopping, for those who have not done great things for God, for the anniversary of a loss, for leavings, for missing someone, for the sound of sirens as they go by, for a fleeting irritation, for the moments of emergency. Imagine if we built liturgies around these moments. Maybe not these ones, although, again, so. If you come from a liturgical tradition, you may find it surprising that I was, that I was so surprised by all of this. It may be perfectly obvious to you that there's a good reason certain prayers have survived for centuries. But the fact is 
There are millions of Christians the world over for a host of reasons who have never engaged in liturgical worship. For many of us, the old thing is the new thing, and that brings with it some discomfort, but also a heightened appreciation for the ancient rhythms of prayer and meditation, which have been more or less absent from our experience. And as much as we may need this new, to us, language for prayer, those who grew up in it may also need our fresh enthusiasm for it to remind them that a profound gift it is to speak these ancient tongues, not just to know, but to be reminded by the saints how wide, high, deep, and broad is the love of God in Christ. It is through the great cloud of witnesses that the Lord is teaching us to pray. But it is, it's also possible to overcorrect, to fall into the assumption that the old things are better than the new things. It would be just as silly for me to insist that there have been no great songs since the Beatles as it would be for my teenage children to insist that nothing before 2015 that's worth listening to. The fact is, there have always been poets underfoot. God just keeps making them. If Cranmer and Bellier and Oswald Chambers and George Herbert and the Puritans who wrote The Valley of Vision had so much of value to say, then aren't there new voices we should pay attention to? Aren't there new prayers that we need help articulating? While it's true that our struggle, that our struggles at their core are the same as those of the saints before us. It's also true that the world of the 21st century is vastly different than, uh, than they could have imagined. A world of smartphones and high-speed internet and high-tech territories and pollution and ubiquitous pornography and selfies and Netflix. Sometimes I look up from reading those old prayers to find myself in clamor, a clamorous culture so far removed from the author's experience that their words can feel irrelevant. The sheer volume of information screaming at us leaves us in a stupor. Our lives feel at once so frenzied and too mundane, too connected and not connected enough, too demanding and too sedentary. So I love those old prayers the last few years found me wishing I had new ones. Prayers that were not just speaking to my current situation, but crying out for, from within it. Wendell Berry wrote, there is no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. In that spirit, this book reminds us that there are no unsacred moments. There are only sacred moments and moments we have forgotten are sacred. If that's true, then it is our duty to reclaim the sacredness of our lives, of life itself, and the first step is to remember, to remember the dream of Eden that shimmers at the edges of things, to remember that the madman on the corner was made in God's image, to remember that the work and prayer and play and suffering and celebration are all sentences in a good story being told by God, a story arcing its way to a new creation. By remembering the holiness of each moment, we banish the old Gnostic ghosts and thwart its lie that there's nothing holy about flesh and bone, soil and stone, 
work and pleasure and all tangible, tactile, visible things. The resurrection of Jesus sent shockwaves into every molecule of creation, even unto this crazy century of ones and zeros and jet engines. If the gospel is true, then it matters on, in all of time and space. From a thousand years ago to the Norman conquest of England to ten minutes ago when I ate cookies. It matters from the moons of Jupiter to the couch where I'm writing this. Yes, I realize that just, I just conjured the less than flattering image of myself lazing on a couch, brushing cookie crumbs from my laptop. But that's exactly the point. The gospel matters even here, even now. A wise man taught me Christianity ought to be as normal in your home as dirty laundry and cornflakes. In the same way my friends gave me a diary of private prayer, we at Rabbit Room Press want to give every moment holy in the hopes that it will become a book you'll find yourself reaching for again and again. Let me skip this part because this is about the book. Uh, A book that we hope will live on for generations to come. Prayers that we hope would live on for generations to come. Giving voice to prayers we didn't know we needed to pray. To the kingdom comes, as the kingdom comes on earth, in every moment, just as it is in heaven. Let us stand and read this final liturgy together. Again, the bolded portions are where we all speak. Our thoughts of a liturgy of praise to the king of creation. Our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few, for seldom we considered how specific is the exercising of your authority, extending as it does into the myriad of particulars of creation. There is no quarter over which you are not king. And as creation hurtles towards its liberation and redemption, the full implications of your deep lordship are yet to be revealed in countless facets, unconsidered. Christ, you are the snow king. You are the maker of all weathers. You are the king of sunlight and storms, the king of gray skies and rain. You are the rain king, the sun king, the hurricane king. You are the king of autumn and the king of spring. And our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. The old and impotent gods of ancients once believed in the, our ancestors once believed in were at their best, but in perfect pictures of you, whose strength and goodness and creative majesty and wonderful mystery and love exceed those old rumors as sunlight exceeds the tiny dimness of stars reflected in a dark and wavering pool. The fairy tales crafted by our old cultures hinted at you, though they knew it not. Yet their perfect princes and blessed 
ends were yearning for all that has found fulfillment in you. You are the Lord of harvest, the grain king, the wine king, the God of plenty, the God of hearth and home. You are the hill king, the wildfire king, the king of the great bears, the king of canyons. You are the monarch of meadows, the lord of the lava fields, the ruler of desert wastes, the polar king, the rainbow king, the king of the southern cross, the king of the northern lights. You are the king of the rabbits, the lord of all tall trees. You are the god of youth and the god of age. You are the acorn king, the river god, the swamp king, the king of glades, the king of dells, ruler of all hummingbirds. You are the horse lord, the crag king, the lord of the bees, the king of the walruses, the commander of rhinos, the lord of the lightning bugs, cave lord, mountain king, ruler of the grassy plains, god of the valleys. You are the captain of the clouds, the wolf king, the king of the cockatoos, and our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. For your claim over creation is vast. You are the Lord of Antarctica, the king of California, the king of the Scottish hills, and the king of the Nile. You are the weaver of the unseen fabrics of the world. You are the Lord of the atoms, the ruler of electronic, the Lord of gravity, the king of the quarks. Your dominion enfolds the earth and rises beyond it to the furthest extremes of the stars. You are the Lord of the vast empty spaces. You are the king of the constellations, the black hole king, the Lord of Novus exploding, you, the Lord of speeding lights, the high king of galaxies, the king of Orion, the king of the moon. And still, even still, our thoughts of you have been too small, too few. You are the God of justice, the God of wisdom, the God of mercy, the God of redemption. You are the Lord of love. All of this is true, but our thoughts of you are still too few. Our minds are too small to conceive of them all, let alone to contain them. You were before all things. You created all things. In you, all things were held together. There is no corner of creation you will fail to redeem. You are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, O Jesus Christ, of King of everything. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.